we're going to continue our series. This is the second week on our series, Hebrews Greater Than. And uh, this, what we know so far is that this is a letter from an unknown writer to an audience that came from the Orthodox Jewish religious setting. And these are people who actually left that and chose to become followers of Jesus. Um, the, the Jewish faith was both a place of opposition but also a great opportunity because they knew about what was to come. They knew what, that they were supposed to be anticipating something. And then when the Scriptures could point to Jesus and the Spirit did His work, there were people who would come to faith in that. And, uh, and the audience that is being written to in Hebrews is part of that group of, of people who have responded to the Gospel in that sort of way. But we know from Scripture and from history that a big decision like this was not a popular one. Uh, a change would have come with a fair bit of difficulty. Nobody likes change in the best of times, right? Uh, I, I don't like a change in the weather. I get out and feel a bit odd just with that. But imagine changing an entire faith outlook, and, and as some of us have. Uh, I remember the change when I chose to follow Jesus coming from a completely unchurched background and, and how confronting that was to suddenly realise that life as I knew, once knew it was totally different and, and uh, my life wasn't all that religious. I didn't have much of a, a religious um, ideal behind me at all. I came from nothing. So when you come from something that has already been well established and very um, liturgical, very uh, religious, very um, ritualistic and then you leave in favour of something else, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's got some difficulty about it. In this case, it was enough to even consider giving up on Jesus altogether because it got really difficult socially as well. And uh, they were, they would, there's an audience that seems to be wanting to go back to a path of least resistance in their faith expression and going back to their, their synagogues and going back to their Jewish faith and going back to the rituals and, and going back even into the world seemed like a path of least resistance and, and an easier way to go than serving Jesus was. But our working title through this series is Greater Than. And this captures the author's urgent call to these believers. Instead of throwing in the towel on Jesus, he wants us to remember this one big thing about him, that Jesus is greater than all that they understood, no matter where they came from. Religiously, intellectually, philosophically, socially, politically, no matter where they came from, what walk of life they came from, Jesus is greater than anything they've ever known. Now, last week I introduced a series with a fair bit of how Hebrews spoke to them. And here's the business I believe the Spirit wants to do in us. There are people who have been coming here for a while and are still processing the idea of being a Christian. And I could personally ask you right now if you were a Christian and you would answer back to me, Ken, to be honest, I'm still not sure I believe it all yet. I'm not sure if this is the life for me. But there's something still grabbing me about it all and I still keep coming back here every week to hear more and more about it because I'm not out. I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to get... I've got my toe in. I'm kind of checking it out. 
but I'm not all in yet. There are others in our audience, both here and perhaps online. And I would say it's a bigger group of people than the first group. I might ask you about your Christian faith. And you might answer me that you're a Christian, but it's not all that big a deal to you. It's a nice religious thing to do, but you engage with Christian things somewhat loosely. If you're really honest, you might say, Cam, Christianity is almost like an accessory to my life, not so much the thing that drives me. It's the keychain, not the steering wheel. There are others again. And statistically and anecdotally, this will be a pretty big group of people on any church congregation on any Sunday. People who have allowed their faith to actually get stale and powerless. As in, if we were really honest with ourselves right now, you would bravely admit to me that can... Being a Christian meant something more to me in the past than it does now. Cam, now that you and I are getting honest, and since you bought me the coffee, I'm going to be honest with you, Cam. Yeah. I feel like I'm actually going through the motions right now. And finally, there are others. And you'll be probably part of our online audience more so than our physical one. And if we were to sit down and have a chat about faith and Jesus and church, you might actually eyeball me and say, Cam, I'm done. It's simply easier in the world and serving Jesus just got too hard. You might saddle it with things like hypocrisy in the church or money or the same-sex marriage discussion or a person who did you wrong. But whatever it is, you've thrown in the towel on Christian community to start with. And if you do a bit of soul-searching, you might even find that you've thrown in the towel on Jesus too. Because they are very closely linked. If you fall out of love with the body that Jesus set up for us to thrive in, It's only a matter of time before you stop falling in love with the head too. I'm going to pause at this time before we get into that first bit of scripture today. And I've even allowed space for this in the Bible app notes. Are you in one of those four groups this morning? Ask yourself that question for one moment. I'm going to pause for 20 seconds. And if that's you, which one are you? What happened? I just described I just want to go out on a limb today I feel the spirits sort of taking me into waters I'm not that comfortable with this morning I'm going to go out and say this in this time you are in right now the book of Hebrews is God's letter to where you are at 
because Jesus is far greater than what you are thinking right now. I want to encourage you with that. This hasn't been preached to keep up with some preset plan initially. I thought it did because it naturally fitted on from Leviticus. But no, the Spirit is revealing something different at this time. And we're exploring Hebrews because Jesus wants to speak to us all in specific ways over the next few months. I learned a phrase in the last few weeks, looking at something with soft eyes. And I believe that's got to be our approach with Hebrews in these next couple of months. So it's a willingness to ponder something completely new, to look at something afresh, and to look at something that has the potential to speak directly into where we are all at. So last week we looked at just the first four verses of Hebrews, right? We're in Hebrews 1 today. We looked at the first four verses last week and they simply highlight Jesus as God revealed. In those few verses, Jesus is not just like God, but he is God. He is the equal heir. He is the creator. He is the voice. He is the glory. He is the character of God. And in today's passage, the author begins to flesh that out even more. So, uh, not just for the sake of information, though, okay? It starts that way, but there's a point. There's a significant challenge and a call to respond that will follow this as well. So, let's just uh, rip into this now. Let's get into chapter 1. We'll look at verse 5 onwards. And uh, let's look at this quick idea briefly. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father? Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. And they will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed, but you remain the same and your years will never end. So which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? are not all angels, ministering spirits, sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. This flows on from verse 4 last week, where Jesus is greater than the angels. He's not ranked below God as a mere angel himself. And this idea is coming out here today. Now, what's being said here, this is basically the writer of this letter is craftily using seven Bible verses. You'll notice I've only listed six. The seventh is a little bit of uh, you have to have a really good working knowledge of Greek to be able to jump into the other one. I don't want to throw you under the bus with that. But these ones are worth looking over. I won't go over all these together with you today. In fact, this could be a week of devotional reading for you. It could be the basis of a house church study this week. If you're scratching for something to do, house, house church leaders, make note of this. These Bible verses are in the app, by the way. We 
notice he's listing all these things to make a point. But I want to offer a few observations right now just so you can understand how to study these particular verses, give you a few guiding ideas. All right? First, the author has automatically concluded that since Jesus the Son is equal to God, when you read these Old Testament verses, any time God is mentioned and worship of God is mentioned in the Old Testament, the author of this letter has actually inter- is automatically inserted the word Jesus into that place. It's really cool how he's done that. Jesus is God, therefore anything about worship of God has to include Christ, even from an Old Testament perspective. The author has made clear Messianic claims about Jesus by the use of certain psalms here. Known Messianic psalms, and he's quoted from those to, to associate that with Jesus. And by putting those two together, the audience with Jewish heritage here are told that Jesus the Son, who is also God, is also the Messiah. And he is seated at the right hand of God, ruling in victory. That's kind of the big idea coming out there. And he gives us a good perspective of the angels versus Christ here. The angels are worshippers of God and are merely messengers. And the Son is the object of their equal worship. If they're worshipping God, they're worshipping the Son. And that concludes that Jesus is not a mere messenger. Jesus is the message. That's what he's getting at in all this. Now, that's, that's the point he's making. Why did that even matter? You and I, we kind of think of angels a little bit vaguely sometimes. We don't really dig into that too much. But they had a lot more clout in the, old te- in the, in the, um, in the Jewish setting than they perhaps do with us. We think of a few big ones. We think of a few angelic visits. We think of Gabriel. We think of, you know, we think of angels in Revelation. We, we, we kind of know they're there, but we don't really give much thought about too much of the dynamics of that. But they were pretty powerful beings in the eyes of the Jews. There is actually one ancient line of thought in ancient Jewish tradition that suggested the coming Messiah would not be anywhere near as grand as what is being said here. Even today, notable rabbis like David Rosen believe that the Messiah, (laughs) that's still going to come apparently, is, is, is more of a political figure than anything divine or anything religious. The idea is that the Messiah that was to come was actually going to be operating under the guidance of an archangel. That was the idea of how the Messiah was to come in the lines of some Jewish thought. A couple of commentators suggest that there was actually an emergence of praying to angels in the church going on. People who had Hebrew, who had um, Jewish roots here understood the power of angels in the Old Testament and started directing prayer to them as, as almost like um, you know, middlemen to God. In much the same way we erroneously pray to saints today. But we'll soon see as it unfolds into chapter 2 that the biggest idea in play here actually is around the traditional beliefs of the law at that time that it was angels actively involved in the process of God proclaiming his law to Moses. 
The best way I can try to describe this is that you've got God in heaven and you've got Moses on the earth and it's almost like the angels are microphones and amplifiers with wings. They are active agents in the giving of the law. That's one of the traditional ideas being, being um, held in ancient Jewish settings there. But what is abundantly clear in this one chapter is that Jesus is not a mere messenger of God. He's higher than that. He's greater than that. He is the message. And you don't go praying to the angels. You have Jesus who is higher than that. He's not one of them. He is God. And you don't have this, you know, there's spiritual forces going on all around us, but Jesus is higher than it all. That the Messiah is coming in and the Messiah has come and he's not under the leadership of an angel. He is above the angels. And all of heaven worships the Son and so should we. He is the message. He is the one who spoke throughout all that the Jews were familiar with, the Old Testament. And now the message turned up in our neighbourhood and spoke one final time. As John says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The grandest sentence about Jesus we'll ever hear. This is a theological point all believers must have locked away. Jesus is God in the flesh. He is God in every way. His full deity is on display here, is being explained here. And his deity is something we need to have locked away in our own spirit because it changes the dynamic of how we interact with him. He's not just one of the angels or some sort of lesser being in heaven. He is the full object of our worship. But it's not just about giving information, like I said. The writer of this letter is actually calling us to respond according to this. At this point, when we go into these final four verses together, we realise that this is not just a letter, but this becomes our letter, okay? If you're in those four people that I talked about earlier, now we start talking tin tacks. All right, let's look at these next four verses real briefly. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God, who testified to it by signs, wonders and various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Now, I wonder if you would agree with me on this or not. There's a very big difference in our attitude and our actions between receiving a letter and receiving a visit. Receiving remote communication and receiving a person in, in, in the flesh. I learnt that last year. Last year, we, as you know, we've, uh, Jen and I bought a, a house that is an ongoing renovation project. All right, one day it'll show up in Grand Designs or something like that, but it's, it's, uh, <laughs> I'm still, we're still a while off that. 
And we have a family over in Melbourne that is paying careful attention. Um, my brother-in-law has been there. He's, he's picked up a sledgehammer with me. We've knocked a kitchen down. He's been part of the process at some points. And we've been sharing um, photos. You know, I text a photo. This is the next project done. We, we show them what we want to show them. Not the mess behind it that hasn't been done yet. But then from October through to about December last year, I had to scramble. It wasn't just that we did, oh, we're building this little bit here. I had to scramble and get a whole lot more done all of a sudden. Because it wasn't just going to be text messages for the very first time ever in our 16 years of being married. Jen and I were going to host Christmas lunch with our family. And they were driving over from Melbourne to join us for lunch. We'd never done it before. All of a sudden, the mess that was behind us, all the things we didn't want them to see, had to disappear fast. All the mess had to go. They needed a place to sleep. They needed a place to appreciate. They needed a place to relax. And we needed to be able to cook a meal there safely and not pull off plaster. And the backyard had to be somewhat functionable so that we, you know, so that we could actually play in the back there and do different things. So I had to scramble and there was a very big difference between distant communication and physical visitation in that setting. One had greater gravity than the other. Think about this. I'm not even a monarchist and the Queen's Queen's gotten a lot of airplay in the last couple of weeks. This is a letter from the Queen. There's there's actually a lady who writes blogs and she actually catalogues all the letters the Queen has written her. That's scary. All the letters... She'll write a letter congratulating her on something and and she'll get her one of the ladies in waiting will actually write back to her. And she's got a catalogue of these things. It apparently it's thanking a person, the person who left the blog for their well wishes. Apparently it's for a birthday or for the arrival of a grandchild. I think it's something something along those lines there. Now, if that letter came in the mail. If you wanted to receive that letter, you could do what some of my neighbours do. Hair and curlers, dressing gown, slippers, coffee in hand, trudging out to the letterbox. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's got a royal stamp on it. Oh. You know, tuck it under the arm, drive back, you know, walk back into the house, open it up and read it in the comfort of your room with your slippers still on. And your demeanour wouldn't, you wouldn't dress up for it, would you? It's a letter. What if that lady in waiting who signed that letter phoned you up and goes, hey, the Queen is really, really wrapped with that letter and she actually wants to come in person and thank you personally for it. Everything changes, doesn't it? Here's the deal. Not just you, but the entire community around you changes. The whole city will pull out, your whole world as you know it changes through that one royal visitation. Everything stops. Everything has to be right. You would not dare show up in your dressing gown and slippers and your curlers, coffee coffee mug in hand, and go, oh, thank you for greeting me. Wouldn't happen, would it?
these last verses I just read to us tells us that God wrote a letter as it were. The law and the prophets, the Old Testament. It was like a letter being written to the people. In Jewish tradition, as we've seen, this word and this letter, particularly the bit of the law of Moses part, had been understood to have been delivered by angels, which this passage taps into. And even when it was delivered by angels, this letter from God had power and was binding. Even spoken through heavenly messengers, it was understood to be a source of beauty and blessing when kept and there was a very real possibility of punishment if any part of it were to be broken. This idea was fully embraced by the Jews, even though it was thought in some ways as a letter from God. When the letter from God came, when the scriptures were opened in the synagogues, there was no dressing gown and slippers. It was treated with a whole lot more dignity and respect than that. But we're led here to understand that the letter has kept its word. And the one who is greater than the angels has come. And the message who wrote the letter became flesh and made a personal visitation. And at the revealing of that awesome thing, this audience has received that information. And the crowd went mild. Out of complacency, out of convenience, out of self-preservation, out of hurt, out of excuse-making, out of sheer indifference. The message himself is not getting the attention that the letter did. I love the way Tom Wright talks about it. It's like a kid receiving a present in a massive box and actually playing with the box instead. Jesus was the gift from God. The law was the wrapping. It was the attractive thing that drew you towards the gift, that revealed the gift, but it was not the gift. It was Jesus who was the gift. If they want a proof of this fact, the author in this verse excitedly points to several things that highlight who the Son is. The things he announced, the signs and wonders he did, the impact he had on those who heard him firsthand, and the ongoing impact he continues to have through the Holy Spirit. All these things, when explored, would demonstrate who he truly was. But despite all that they had at their disposal, this audience is not engaged with this at all. It's not like they set out to deliberately rebel against him. They simply took their eyes off the ball. They stopped paying attention. They stopped going deeper. They stopped forming their convictions. They stopped being in community. And now, the writer says, you're drifting. 
nothing anchored. Nothing. They connected somehow with this Jesus deal, but life has gotten in the way one way or the other. And they're drifting. Jesus is not the anchor that he once was or needs to be. And I believe this is what the Holy Spirit so wants to show us today. A bunch of people in this room are for one reason or another drifting. You're not a rebel. You're not hostile to Jesus. But you're not engaged or anchored in him either. Maybe you acknowledge Jesus as a in a prayer of salvation, but not much more has really occurred. Maybe it was a prayer one moment, but not a movement that it started in your life. As a result, you're doing religious things, but you're really not being transformed into something different yourself. Friends, if you remain that way, that's the mark of a drifter. Maybe you're happy to call yourself a Christian, but you can't meaningfully articulate what that really means. That's a drifter. Maybe you're loosely associated with this community, but you don't have any deep roots within it. That's a mark of a drifter. All sorts of things can come up in our life that cause us to pretty much take our anchor up and make us simply float roughly around this thing we call Jesus. It's the gospel. We need to be anchored in Christ and not drifting. A healthy sense of knowing Christ intimately is the anchor that every believer needs to have. If you don't have a good working personal, what we call a Christology, an understanding or a study of Christ, you will not be anchored and you will drift. And you're drifting, look at the barrel, will always be an away thing, not a toward the centre thing. Nothing in Scripture says you naturally drift to God. Everything says you drift away. So today I want us to make a decision. Stop drifting and choose to get anchored in Christ the Son. And these last four verses give us some clues on how to do that. Three practical tools, and these are in your app notes as well. Make notes. One, pay attention. It's in there in verse one. Pay attention, close attention. You drift when you stop paddling and when you don't drop anchor. When there's nothing anchoring you, when there's nothing propelling you, when there is nothing motivating what you're in, it will drift by its very nature because it is sitting on literally a fluid thing. 
Life can be fluid out there, but Jesus is a rock to, to, be, to be anchored to, to be secured to. The Christian faith is one of diligence and careful attention. Coasting is dangerous. Watchfulness is prescribed. If you're on a fishing trip and you just let the boat float without much thought, you'll get into trouble really quickly, won't you? Get off course really quickly, lose your bearings. It's the same with faith. We can drift away from Jesus really easy because there's lots of elements out there that will distract us and push us away from Christ, not to Him. This world, by its very nature, is not going to go, you need to get back to Jesus because that's where you are at your very best. Never happens. It's a choice we make. One of the distractions that's in play here has an expression here too. The distraction of religious piety. You know, the Jewish faith had the potential to pull them into powerless rituals. The modern faith can pull us into all sorts of religious activity. I quantify my faith by what I do rather than who I know. And we get distracted and we start drifting because we're ploughing all our time into doing for God and in the process we forget who it is we actually know in this process. We actually get enamoured with the task rather than relationship. We can drift so easily even in that. The second one it says here is to learn Jesus. And we're going to explore this more again in January when we look at Mike Frost stuff. Go to the Gospels on a regular basis and explore all that he said and all that he did. That's how you learn Jesus. That's what the writer of Hebrews actually reminds us of. He talks about the message of salvation that was announced and the signs, the wonders, the miracles that were performed. That's all documented in the, in the Gospels for us. That's there for us. The gospel, the miracles are not just Jesus doing parlor tricks. Every single one of those tells a story about who Jesus is. They demonstrate something powerful about him. They demonstrate his deity. They show his dominion on the earth. They show lots of different things. They are not just sideshow things to draw a crowd and go, believe in me, look what I can do. There's greater truth in all the signs and wonders that he performed. The words that he spoke, the message of salvation to the announced, there is power in that. They were revolutionary when you take them all in and apply them to all that you know. The red letters of the Gospels will transform your entire belief system, your outlook on life as you know it. It'll speak into your future and how to approach that. It'll address your own purpose on this earth. They will speak into your conduct, your character, your convictions. The words of the Son, who is God, will transform it all. And this transformation will be part of your anchor. No Christology, no journey of learning Christ equals no anchor. You will drift if you do not learn Him. And finally, feeding off of that, develop an ear to hear the Holy Spirit and engage with His gifts. I'm going to say this at this point. 
The scriptures constantly, consistently show us that the interaction with the Spirit is usually not like a Steven Spielberg event. 99.99999% of the time, you're not going to get special effects and flashy lights and smoke and all this other stuff to make you aware that it's God speaking. There's the Holy Spirit at work. It's actually not the job description of the Spirit to be that. Sadly, many don't bother with the Spirit because they get disappointed something like that doesn't happen. I want a lightning bolt or I want nothing at all. It doesn't work. The Spirit, according to Jesus, speaks quietly and in an alongside way. We know this because Jesus told his disciples that's what they should expect. The word comforter in John's Gospel means the one who comes alongside. Even when you say, Jesus, take the wheel, that's actually not accurate. He stands beside you while you steer. That's the image in play when we talk about that. We are simply reminded constantly of the things Jesus has already said. That's what Jesus also said. He will remind you of the things that I have already told you. The message has spoken and the Spirit simply reminds of those things. Now, as I was pondering that idea, I was walking around doing my crazy walk last night. I'm in the rail lands getting a sweat up. And I realised something as I was thinking about that. Without fail, I have found that the Spirit only speaks accompanied by Scripture. Every time I have heard or sensed the Holy Spirit speaking to me, it has been accompanied or pointing to Scripture. He'll either remind me of a phrase Jesus said and then give me something to expand on from that or he'll speak after he goes, read this and I do that. Every time the Spirit speaks, his word is involved. The scriptures are involved. We learn Jesus and then we're reminded by the Spirit of what that is. And the image I got last night and the image is for somebody here today is that the Scriptures are the antenna to God speaking in your life. If you try to watch TV in your house and we have a storm and you get that really pixelated thing happening, the Spirit speaking to you without a knowledge of Jesus will be a constantly pixelated image. The Word is the antenna. And if you know Jesus, the more you learn Him, the more the words of the Spirit will make sense to you. And the Holy Spirit asked me to share that with somebody here last night. And God knows I'm a bit of a control freak and likes my ducks in a row. And I'm like, why are you telling me this now? And he 
and here's what I was smashed in my heart, and I've, this is one of my out on all in things here. Somebody in this room or online needed to hear that. And it's someone whose plans changed to be able to be an earshot of this. You're either in this room and you weren't planning to be, but you changed your mind yesterday, or you're getting online, tuning in, even though you didn't intend to. But someone needs to hear that. If you don't know Jesus in his word, it'll be really difficult to hear the Spirit in that. Learn Jesus. Learn to hear the Spirit. But also understand that the Spirit equips in every way that is needed for effective and productive life in Him. There are practical expressions of this and there are supernatural expressions to this. The things like that, all those equippings are called gifts in this passage. Being anchored means knowing the red letters and being reminded of them and being equipped to live them out through a deliberate interaction with the Holy Spirit. Your convictions and who Christ is will stop the drift. Your equipping in the Holy Spirit will stop the drift. Your listening ear to the Holy Spirit will stop the drift. Those are just some of the things that will stop the drift at this time. And if we choose to get anchored, no longer will we be indifferent. No longer will we be uncertain. No longer will we drift all over the place and be everywhere other than where Jesus is. No longer will we flounder. No longer will we wonder if this is the thing for me. Instead, we will finally go all in with Jesus. No longer will we settle for religion at the expense of relationship. No longer will our faith be the powerless and stale thing it might have been in the past. If you're there right now, serving Jesus can be so much greater than that. Going through the motions means we're simply in neutral when we need to be engaged in Jesus. And no longer will we consider throwing in a towel in faith or community because we will be too anchored in Christ for that to happen. Whatever you need to do, and I'm going to pause, I'm going to allow us to simply stop and reflect. Choose to get anchored in Christ. Choose to stop drifting in the pool of indifference. The gospel is that our king visited our neighbourhood. And that deserves a response greater than what these guys have been doing. What will your response be to that? Let's pause. Let's pray.